Gundam. I had an agreement that if Barack Obama won, I would speak for the show from now on. Welcome to post-racial Gundam. I'm the face of post-racial Gundam. Deal with it, Kate Blanchett. Welcome, gang, to another episode of Gundam at MHQ. We've come across to episode 27, and I'm joined by the usual suspects here, co-hosts. Neo. Chris. And in this episode, we're going to be finally reaching um, the uh, last Gundam series to be directed by um, Yoshiyuki Tomino. That's right, Turn A Gundam. Um, and also, we'll, ha- we'll be having a freeform discussion um Discussing uh, one of the most recent headlines here um, that that, um, that that just came uh, that uh, came across on the internet, um, talking about uh, pretty much the damage that a lot of fans are are causing with um, with those that are producing shows um, based upon trolling. what's that internet trolling internet trolling gone awry. We're breaking we're breaking out our um, we're breaking out our pesticides and our traps <laughs> because we're going hunting for some trolls. Oh man, like we're Boromir. Let's do this. <laughs> And that that, that actually uh, that that's uh, that's um, an article that was brought for over from Sankaku Complex, mm-hmm. and it was actually uh, a, a listener submitted news article that we actually turned into a topic because we just thought it would be a little bit better to um, talk about, and that was courtesy of uh, Flamex. Flamex, yep. thank you, ma'am. But um, before before we get into all of that, we've got we got a bit of the developing news here with Neo. All right, back in uh, the news central here. Um, actually, this this. This episode, I'm just going to be doing. I'm featuring just listener-submitted news articles. Oh man! And I got a couple here that people are going to find pretty interesting. And like I said, um, like we stated earlier, um, poster of Flame X sent the you know uh, a news article that was became one of our topics. Well, he also sent in another article, and this is actually courtesy of the fine folks at Anime News Network. And there is going to be a Macross ship launch ceremony that's going to be held in February. In Japan, they're actually going to lo- launch the SDF one. Nice, and <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. Uh, the official website of for Macross Frontier has announced that the Super Dimension Launch Ceremony event will be held in Tokyo's Akihabara Otaku shop- Shopping District next this upcoming February, and it's February is the precise month when the events of the very first episode of the first Macross science fiction romance series supposedly takes place. Um, in February 2009, in the Macross timeline, mankind launches the alien ship that crashed 10 years earlier, only to be attacked by another alien ship on the same day. And uh, it's the real-life event. It's going to be called Macross, the Super Dimension Space Launching Ceremony. It's really 2009 already. It's uh, February 22nd. Nana, 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 the culture. <laughs> so... Uh, qu- quite a quite a long uh, quite a long name there, but um, they're gonna the event planners are inviting a lot of the guests from the different Macross series. And this upcoming summer in 2009, they're planning a release of uh, a theater version of Macross Frontier. And I guess uh, Bandai just introduced the toy versions of the VF25s, uh, transformable space fighter from uh, Frontier. And there's also two novelty singles from uh, characters Bobby Marco, Cheryl Noem. Ronka Lee that were shipped on December 24th. So, and Macross Frontier singer 
Minen will release a mini album, Minen Street, on December or on January 21st. So uh, if anybody um, you know can't get enough of Macross, uh, you know there's definitely some more stuff going on after Frontier. Chris, have you seen anything on the the transformable BF25? Any screenshots or anything? They're uh, they're pretty sweet. And what I want to know is for the the Macross launch ceremony, mm-hmm. where get my ticket because I don't want to be here when. When does Entrati come and blow everything up? Yeah, because I, I remember when the ship was launched. We, yeah, we got blown up. So. Well, no, it, it was it was it was after it was like later on during what um, the 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 participation of um, when they when they rained beams of hot death upon the upon the planet. Remember, remember Soldier and Child? I do vividly. Yeah. Soldier and Child, <laughs> that the flower. precursor to Mother and Child. Oh yeah. <laughs> That we see much later on. Wiped off the map. Yeah. Freaking, freaking well, skid mark. Mother and, mother, and ch- mother and child don't get blown up. They just kind of float away. Oh, man. Every time. <laughs> or they get gassed. Or they get gassed or mother just gets bonked in the head with a, uh, oh. a gun casing from, uh, from what is it, a, a, a gun cannon. Oh, man. So. That's the worst. <laughs> and... Uh, another article here, and this is from Wielder, and this is uh, our fears have been confirmed. So, and this is also, um, you know, coming from Anime News Network. Uh, Sunrise indicates the possibility of more Code Geass. What? So yeah. So if you couldn't get enough of Suzaku, did it? It looks like uh, your he'll wishes be, might come true. He'll be doing it all over again. Oh boy, time to start them reviews again. Oh my God. <laughs> I guess uh, actually in the December tenth, um, on December tenth, the January issue of Gakin's Animedia magazine published a quote from Sunrise Anime Studios uh, Code Geass unit for its New Year's feature, two thousand nine Love and Beef. Love and Beef. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there. It kind of sounds like a hentai title. Um, and quote, all of you have shown much appreciation and made the DVDs as well as the CDs so popular. Really, we've been blessed with fervent fans. Thank you very much. Like we have said before, brackets, a major character development happened, but Code Geass cannot die. It just ended, but we think it would be nice if we could do something more in any case when we announce something in the not-so-distant future, unquote. So, of course, you know, Sunrise created both, um, you know, both uh, Lelouch of the Rebellion and the R2 sequel. Uh, they did not indicate the format or any hypothetical plans that might take place. And, of course, it's uh, R1 and R2 is being shown in the United States under Adult Swim. So um, I guess we will keep you posted on that. And, you know, because <laughs> it means more reviews, right? Oh, man. Exactly. But um, I know many episodes ago we were talking about the state of the anime industry and some of the things that have happened, some of the winners of um, you know some of the consolidation and some of the losers, mainly being like Genyon and some of these other companies. But and I'm super super excited to see this more than anything. It's been announced by Funimation that they are going to license Last Exile, and I love Last oh. Exile to death, and that was a Genyon title, and mm-hmm. the only reason why I never bought it. Was because it was a two hundred dollar box set. Man, but wait, there's more. I'm gonna do a little soul bro, soul bro uh, busting in. <laughs> oh, sweet. Because I got, I got and last, I got last exile on my Netflix queue now. I need to, I need to get on that before it's gone. <laughs> uh, hey, last exile, that's that's great and all. Go ahead, Gankutsuo. Yes. yes. Yep. 
that is. We got to spotlight that sometime, too. Gan Kutsuo has been relicensed, and even though this isn't sci-fi related, they got Samurai Champloo also, which yeah. finally I, I can buy that because... Jenny on wanted a bit too much money for it. Yeah, yeah just like Last Exile. I, I love this show, and it was that uh, was always my big thing. Was you know, it, it's just that it was just too. Ex- I could not necessitate my my Zeta Gundam box set didn't cost that much. Yeah, <laughs> and it came with so much. It came with a lot of stuff, but my my limited edition Zeta Gundam box set only cost. I think it was one hundred and sixty five. Dang, man. And that was from the fine folks at Four Oriental Trader that that got that for me. So, um, but yeah, that was this is cool. I mean, because this I don't know if anybody's seen this show. It's kind of a steampunk type of show, alternate reality. Uh, really kind of cool though, and you know it looks good because it is Gonzo. But uh, I'd like to thank Hayaku Shiki for this article, and you know uh, another one that Hayaku Shiki had brought in was that they're going to be bringing. I'm not a huge fan of this anime, but I know there is uh, a definitely a lot of people that like it out there, and I'm sure a lot of the people that uh, listen to our show are kind of excited about this. But uh, Van Dredd, uh, they're actually uh, Funimation got that too, yeah, and they'll be releasing it. And um, you know, no real dates have been set so far on when they're going to be releasing these, but uh, it shouldn't be too long because pretty much the dubs have already been done, so. Mm-hmm. They probably just have to reduce some of the packaging and, and this and that. But um, my last article here, and I, I'm sorry, Chris, but um, I had to do this one. Um, this is courtesy of the goose. <laughs> and Funimation strikes once again. Oh. And I know this is one of Chris's favorite shows, and I, I knew he was waiting with bated breath to see oh, that these movies man. were being licensed. But um, Funimation did it. They picked up Evangelion 1.0. So they're going to be releasing that. So I don't know if we're going to be getting any more the greatest animes of all time. So, (laughs) you know, this kind of goes back to the going back to the well segment of anime. You know, we not only need... (laughs) Too bad bad you don't work at that video store anymore. One time... One time... Not agree. (laughs) One time wasn't good enough, but um, what's what's the third or fourth time releasing this? And um, no explanation here. So um, all you guys that are excited and you know were wondering what what was going on, here you go. You can add more greatness to your collection. Yet so. another reinterpretation of Ava. Yeah, the the fifteenth re envisioning of it. So man, we could have we could have a we could have a an Ava um an Ava rundown <laughs> with all the different versions. Yeah, I know <laughs> we'd be just as occupied as with the Gundam Roundup. <laughs> and then we'll do Ava Roundup for Evangelion 1.0, and then another Roundup for 1.0.1, and then, you know, Blu-ray, the Roundup of 1.0.2, and then the Roundup for Ultra Ray, you know, 4000p, you know, <laughs> 3.7825. And don't forget the alternate... Ava XP, Ava Vista. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget never the alternate out. ending that's available on the, um, you know, the Irish release. You know, it would be something like that. Nice. And the super ultra ultimate exclusive Samoan director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> With commentary by The Rock. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and we just would like to say the, the, the host of Gundam were just saying that Evangelion Roundup is a joke. <laughs> it's uh, not coming. Oh, man. No. Expect ever. <laughs> I will cry on my pillow tonight. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's there's a lot more that we could um, that we would do before we do Ava. So sweet. But um, 
yeah, that's basically it right there. And I just wanted to kind of showcase a little uh, some of the listeners submitted news articles. And I just want to thank all the guys that submitted them and, and keep bringing them on. And, you know, they've been uh, the quality keeps getting better and better each time. And you guys keep outdoing yourselves. And, you know, uh, don't forget that, you know, there are, you know, even even simple things that you might read on some, you know, legitimate news sites when it comes to sci-fi or anything if it if we can find a, a pretty good link to it with you know mech anime or something like that that's good and we're talking one link we're not talking you know you know six degrees of um you know mech anime here so uh but i just want to think about it thank you for everybody for that and um i'm still waiting on pundum there has to be pundum of 2009 <laughs> let's hope not so <laughs> but um that's it here so well back then. to you Solbro. If um if that that we got the ball rolling and um we'll be back with our first segment in just a moment. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Gundam, you jock. Need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or a bakery? In the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series, video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, go to EpicSugarWorks.com. It's epically delicious. My teammates, it was an honor to be on the court with you. You guys are the best. Even you, Vakaitis. Damn dumb son of a bitch. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? Turn A Gundam. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is Chris, and uh, we've sort of hit the momentous um, 14th installment of Gundam Roundup. This time we're taking a look at uh, the 1999 Tamino series Turn A Gundam, which also was the 20th anniversary Gundam series. And just to start it off, this, this series was really different from its predecessors as far as the alternate universes go because, you know, number one, it was directed by Tamino, but it wasn't Universal Century. You know, one of the most sort of controversial aspects of the show is that the design of the title Gundam itself was by Sid Mead, an American well-known for uh, designs for movies like Blade Runner, and he created a design that was very unorthodox and uh, challenged the limits of what was accepted to be a Gundam with a mustached mobile suit that on the surface doesn't look much like what one would typically expect a Gundam to look like. Series story was also quite different because you had a far, far future where technology on Earth had actually regressed back to uh, World War One levels. And at the start of the show, uh, you have uh, these people from the moon called the Moon Race who have advanced technologies. They're sending people to live on Earth as experiments for colonization. And one of them is a uh, young kid named Laurence Hawk who gets involved with these two girls from a local nobleman's family, a rich man's family, and uh, is sort of living with them as uh, their errand boy slash butler slash chauffeur. And that sort of goes on for about two years until the moon race invades 
uh, North America, as it's now called, and starts a war to uh, conquer the territory and colonize the land for the moon race who desperately need a new home. So that's sort of the, the basics of the story. One of the things that sets the show apart in terms of the way the Gundam is represented is that, yes, it is a very powerful mobile suit, but since it's been encased in a statue for about 2,300 years, no one really knows full extent of how to use it. So one of the things that happens in this show is that Loran is constantly learning about new weapons and new techniques and things he didn't know about before. And one of the most shocking aspects is the Moonlight Butterfly system, which revealed much later on in the show, is actually the destroyer of civilization that set humanity back several thousand years and caused technology to start all over again from the very beginning. And it's all linked into the Black History, which, according to this show, the true history of this world's past is every Gundam series that occurred before now and you see hints of that in the technology that's dug up and the mobile suits that are dug up including suits that look like zakus and other things that are out there so that's kind of a brief summary of the show and um, there's a lot to say about this show so I will kick it to you guys to give us some initial comments on the series this is the first Gundam series where I was into Gundam and heard about the series as it was developing it was um I guess um, towards the end of the, it was 1999 when it was when it was coming out. But even shortly before then, there was a little bit of buzz on the internet about it. Just being exposed to like the the line art and hearing about the fact that Tomino was coming back to to home another Gundam show, it was a big deal. But I didn't realize how big a deal it was back then. Flash forward to um, the 2000s when I finally get a, my hands on a copy of the show and start watching it, and it just ends up being a completely different experience from all the from the few Gundam shows, shows I already saw. I think at the time I only saw maybe about five or six series and then getting into turn a Gundam I'd always wanted to see it and the mech designs didn't really bother me although I saw they were unconventional it was just it it just ended up being a completely different experience when watching it I, I the lead first off is you know he's he's not so much the clueless lead that gets thrown into a situation he kind of was sent to earth on a purpose you know, with purpose in the beginning Loran and then you know the situation is presents itself in front of him where you know he has the opportunity to pilot the turn A and then he goes on that learning curve learning all the different weapons and the different techniques and, and abilities that the suit has there's a natural story progression in the series that I like a lot and throughout all their adventures and um uh, experiences all the characters have. It's 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 a nice travelogue. It kind of complements the the same kind of vibe that was on um, Gundam X, where you know they're they're on a journey and eventually things develop, things escalate, and you know eventually they go into space and you know a lot more things happen. But I I I like the progression of story in the show and the the cast of characters was was amazing. The differences between everybody and the fact that um, this conflict didn't seem like just a big war, but kind of a skirmish for the for the future of mankind. But still, it was it was it was a fun ride. Well, um, yeah, I mean, of course, before I watched the show, um, you know, it was all the same things, and you know, it almost received as much hate I would read on the internet and such as uh, a G Gundam because it was kind of so unconventional. You know, first the design of the turn A, which yeah, it's it's kind of off the wall when it, when you're looking at the, the past Gundams, but it didn't really bother me. And and once you get pretty much into you know the third fourth episode of the show, uh, it just kind of all goes away, except for you know the constant calling it of White Devil with mustache <laughs> and stuff like that. But the whole idea that technology and civilization had regressed 
to even levels that were not that weren't even current when the show was produced you know the early 20th century and then seeing how fantastic technologies that are from pretty much you know in this way a past civilization but you know for those people in in the setting of turn a would be something they'd probably think of it like their future science fiction and how it kind of you know offset the whole advantages that the moon race had because they were the ones with the advanced technologies and how it almost kind of throws kind of a wrench in the things of the development of civilization. Because I, I think in a lot of ways, what the Turney originally did, and from what you get later on in the show, how the technology was the, the root of all evil for humans. And if you took away the technology, they would take away their fighting spirit. We see that pretty much illustrated in this, even as the uh, Earth races, you know, they're unearthing these, these mobile suits and stuff. They're starting to get more aggressive. And, you know, it's almost like the sins of the past are being repeated. But I thoroughly enjoyed the show. It is up there with one of my f- favorite Gundams. It definitely sets an interesting mood. It's it's an interesting concept for an alternate century. And when you initially watch it and you see the kind of uh, links it has with the previous shows and, you know, there's there's pictures of all the shows that were produced up to that date, you know, and, and how, that, how they had a part of it. Now, they don't go too much of history saying, well, you know, Universal Century happened first, Future Century happened second, whatever. But uh, it was just kind of interesting that, um, you know, it was just kind of a link there and kind of answers all those uh, alternate timeline questions and alternate reality things. But um, great show. And I, I think the other thing about it with most Gundam shows is it uh, was the music. Uh, I think the music was uh, incredible and really enhanced the mood of uh, and the vibe of the show with you know great characters and um, you know kind of a kind of a, a good story there. So yeah, the, the first and only show to be um, orchestrated by um, Yoko Kano oh. uh, for Gundam. I mean, I don't I don't know what else more you could really say when it comes to, to certain things about it. Um, unlike some other Gundam shows, most of the characters I didn't have a problem with. I don't know if there's any my mans in here <laughs> there, there, there might be but we'd have to we'd have to check that out but uh chris um some of your thoughts on uh turn a well i'll, I'll be the first to admit that uh and when i first saw the show and i saw the first episode i was not impressed but that's because i had a different mindset having having only seen a few gundam series back then and oh, yeah. uh, you know part of the reason that that it didn't gel with me was is that the show is so deliberately subversive mm-hmm. you have the fact that um you know aside from the uh the flat that you see loran and keith and fran landed in the first episode there's no other mobile suits yep. including the turn a aside from it showing up in statue form but you don't know that it's anything more than a statue at that point right. which is a very obvious contrast to the way tamino had to uh, screw around with the beginning of Victory Gundam and show things out of order and show the fourth fourth episode first so that the Gundam would appear in the first episode. Yeah. And here he's deliberately doing the exact opposite mm-hmm. because you don't even show up and see it show up until the end of the second episode. Yeah. Um, you know, he subverts a lot of the other things you expect to see out of Gundam, such as the fact that it's the only one in the show. Yes. Yeah. Whereas starting with G, you saw this ever-increasing trend of more and more and more Gundams showing up and followed through in Wing and X where both the heroes and the villains are using them. But 
turn A is the only series since the original, which if you think about it, it, that's a pretty momentous thing. It's the only series since the original to only have one Gundam in the show. Yeah, because it it was always that thing. I mean, when when I think of original Mobile Suit uh, Gundam is, you know, it was special because it was the only Gundam. And, you know, and and, and like you said, each show afterwards had that where every every faction was starting to have their own Gundam and it almost lost that's the specialness that it had yeah um you know it was also you almost come to expect well wow this guy is a, a great pilot i'm sure he'll get upgraded to a Gundam later on so <laughs> and there's no mid no mid-season upgrade because yes. uh even though Zeta was the first to have the mid-series upgrade mobile suit, even with the original series, you could argue that it sort of did the same because in the middle of the show, they introduced the disgusting uh, G-Fighter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an upgrade for the Gundam. Well, well, what about the, um, what about the nuke, man? That, that happened mid-season. <laughs> It was an upgrade, but one-time use of it. <laughs> I don't think that was an intended upgrade. <laughs> the Metal Gear arc, as I like to call it. But yeah. <laughs> No, um, I, 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 I think one of the cool things about this series is it, it's Tomino's attempt to, to scale back the franchise, even so much so that he scaled back the technology that the people on Earth had. The show has this vibe to me where it feels like H.G. Wells meets, um, uh, H.G. Wells meets, uh, who's the Zaki. guy? No, not so much Miyazaki, but uh, the other writer of the day. He wrote uh, Jules Verne. Jules Verne, thank you, uh, meets Gundam. And it just it had that whole vibe to me, especially when they started traveling around the world to you know to to uncover all these different suits and all the different things that they they experienced at the time, and then how everything progresses and eventually you know the the story arc where they go into space finally happens. And you wait a long time for that. Uh, you, I, I, you, you, I sat there watching the show, wondering how the heck they're going to get into space. How are they really going to get into space? And then they uncover that huge spaceship. Um, and then they retro they 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 outfit it to take off into space. And the way they do it is even more amazing. It's just it's just cool to see how far they progress throughout that series, despite the lack of technology in the show. Well, I would have to say it, it's very. It reminds me in a way of uh, with Dunbine, mm-hmm. because here you have kind of a society that is you know it, it's it's inferior to what we have today, but then they get introduced with these weapons, just like they you know these fantastic weapons that are like generations ahead, and they change the you know the scope of war and they change what. You know how the people are, are acting and reacting because I mean, if you think in Dunbine, uh, it was like a peaceful kingdom until the until the Aura Battlers came in. Yeah, and you know there were there was there was issues, but you know that whole that changed the whole way everything happened. And, and Drake Love was just you know conquering everybody, and it's kind of the same way I see it in uh, in Turn A is it seemed for the most part the earth race they were kind of you know going their own way there were different sections you know um you know very reminiscent of some of the countries that we have today but it didn't seem like up until when the turn a gets introduced and everybody sees how powerful it is that's when a lot of the intentions of some of the other earth race people and you know behind the scenes and all of that so and that's even when um you know even within the moon race when the turn a comes up that's when you start seeing how uh there changes um you know in their structure because when when the turn a starts you know kicking some butt against the moon race you see you know factions going against diana who's the queen of of the of the moon race people so um you know i I, I, chris i i don't know if you know this or not but was was tamino given a lot more freedom on this one is i I know that there's always 
you know these these theories on everything but is 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 this some is this a show that he was given as much freedom because as you stated he was able to do you know he didn't have to show the turn a first for, episode for so i would have to think so and probably do in large part to two reasons one that <clears throat> this was the 20th anniversary series yeah mm-hmm. which obviously was a big deal because i remember back then they had you know all of the gundam big bang 20th anniversary project yeah. logos yeah. splattered on everything there was and two, because it was the first TV show that he was directing in six years. Yeah. So it's kind of maybe it's like if they wanted him to come back and do this momentous thing, they had to play ball with him and do things his way. Especially after he had kind of fell out of love with Sunrise after the whole the whole thing with Victory too. So for, to get him back was a big deal. I, I didn't think they wanted to take the chance to lose him by by telling him you know to to, to to kind of manhandle you know his take on the series. But I think it's definitely his intention to have made the series so non-commercial because uh, there's not as much combat in this show. Not to say that the combat isn't great. I mean, there's some great yeah. fights in the show as there always are in every Tamino show. But, uh, I mean, if you look at it from a commercial standpoint, um, the model line of <clears throat> turn A is very incomplete and only include a few suits. Yeah. And it never got very far at all. The ratings of turn A were pretty low, and we might have discussed with, uh, I think I mentioned this during our discussion of Gundam X on the Roundup previously, that had X not been moved to a bad time slot and later canceled and kept the ratings that it had for the first 26 episodes for the whole series, in fact, turn A would have been the lowest rated Gundam show of the 90s. Wow. Oh, wow. So I think that's kind of interesting in, in showing how really non-commercial this show was. And one of the things I really love the most about this show is definitely the characters because, you know, a lot of them are so unlike what you get in mecha shows anyway, but also so unlike what you expect to see in Gundam. Like, take, for example, Loran. Yeah. As far as characters go, there's really never been anyone quite like him because, you know, he's a very uh, sort of, like, sensitive and caring guy and, you know, is so accommodating to everyone above himself. Yeah, almost too much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if, if you're going to say that anyone's selfish, it's not this guy. Yeah, no, <laughs> by far. Because he's completely he's completely selfish to an almost ridiculous extent. Yeah, selfless. Selfless. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's selfless, to an almost ridiculous degree. He just wants everybody to get along, man. From just 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 from his the vibe that he gives off, he just he, he kind of played. I wouldn't say he seemed like a player of both sides, but he was mostly on the earth the earth people side. But he he didn't want to see the conflict escalate between. Um, earthlings and and space noids in that situation and did his best to kind of kind of quell the situation when he could and well i wouldn't say it's so much that he was for the earth people because you know as he says himself when you know when he has the big rebel when he does the big reveal and and says that he's from the moon race you know that he'll fight against anyone who is against peace yeah oh true yeah and this is one of the central aspects of the show because um i think in this show it's handled much better than it is in seed you know, in Seed, Kira has the, the, you know, the conflict of the fact that he's a coordinator, but he's fighting for the naturals, and he's called a traitor, and yada, yada. But it's really not as done well in that show as it is in Turn A, because you have Loran, you know, you really see the conflict in him of the fact that he's fighting against his own people, you know, because he adores, you know, Queen Diana. You know, he loves, you know, the moon that he comes from. He doesn't want to hurt people. Yet at the same time, you know, his people are instigating this war and yep. fighting with massively superior technology. And, um, 
know, some of the other characters around him are pretty different from what you usually expect to see in a show. Uh, as I mentioned way, 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 way back when we were talking about our favorite Gundam females, um, one of my absolute favorite female Gundam characters ever is Diana Sorrel. Oh. And um, if I didn't say it then, I'll say it now that uh, I think she's probably the best written female character in all of Gundam ever. She might be, yeah. I, I, because I don't think anyone before her or since has even come close to... How realized she was? Yeah, how fully realized she was. Because yeah. if you look at her, I mean, there's so many layers to her character. For one, you know, she she is the queen of the moon race, and she exhibits all of that royal authority, and she wears it like a glove perfectly. Yeah. Yet, at the same time, she's just as vulnerable as, you know, a young woman would be, going by her actual living years and not her hibernating years, because obviously then she'd be centuries old. Yeah. But, you know, there's that duality to her. There's also the other duality to her that, um, you know, you see her on Earth when she's posing as, as Kiel Heim, who is her doppelganger, that... Um, you know, she's experiencing all of the simple pleasures of, you know, living life on Earth the way Earthlings do with their inferior technology. And even though she's doing that, you know, just simple things like doing the laundry, at the same side, there's also this sort of deep sadness to her over her past, over her, you know, doomed romance with uh, the original Will game, yep. over, you know, the war that she's started and all of the suffering that it's causing to people. And it's kind of interesting because um, late in the show, uh, the red sunglasses hero, Harry Ord, yeah. uh, he's having a conversation with Kiel, and she's asking him, you know, because the two of them have switched places so many times, her and Diana over the show, dressing up as each other, and she asks him how it is that he always can tell the two of them apart. And he tells her flat out that it's because she's a very lively person and that Diana always has a sense of sadness about her. Yeah. Ah, yes, right. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that was the one thing that I took and, and you know, when it came to Diana uh, was that you could see the pressures of being a royal and you could see that in a lot of ways she like you said she she enjoyed and she exhibited the authority of being a royal, but it was also very difficult for her. And she was never, ever able to do the simple things. And she, you know, she did appreciate doing the simple things. Like you said, the scene where she's doing the laundry. I mean, she's like super happy. And who's happy to do the laundry? Not many people. <laughs> but it just... Especially the old-fashioned way out in the river. Yeah. yeah. And, but it, it did show where, you know, it, it's, it's that, it is that duality that people in power have to, um, you know, they have to, they have to go through. I mean, yeah. they are the leaders of countries and people and they have to do what's right. But then that o doesn't always make them happy or it's maybe not always right to them. Be saddled with so much responsibility. And, yeah. and I have no choice in the matter. And yeah, I, I, I would, I would definitely agree with your, um, you know, and, and I, I like Diane. I also like Kiel. I, th I liked her because she was the complete opposite of uh, Diane. You know, she was lively, but she also had the issue of she was done dealing with the simple things in life. She wanted to exhibit power. She wanted to be noticed. She wanted to have authority. And, and, and that's why, you know, when they did the switch, it was, in, and ultimately at the end when they do do the switch, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's kind of that happy ending where 
you know, both of them achieve their goals that they wanted in life. One becomes the other, basically. And Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. And, and another thing, uh, and the point about, uh, you know, the power is that, uh, another contrast is that, you know, even though Diana is the queen, she's also very humble about it because, yeah. you know, there's plenty of times throughout the series where she's, you know, humbling herself and basically prostrating herself to her people, asking people to help her. She doesn't, you know, just jump into things and say, we're going to yeah. do this my way, we're doing it my way. She always asks people for their help and is always and she's you know the first person to admit her own faults yeah and even take on faults that aren't really hers and take them as her own and in terms of uh, her connection with kiel i think there's sort of an interesting um contrast between them because at the part where kiel renounces the uh declaration of declaring a moon race nation on earth and says that she wants to um continue to negotiate with people that uh, diana's saying that you know Kiel had the strength to do what she couldn't do. Yeah. Yet at the same time, you have Kiel thinking that she doesn't have the strength to do the kind of things that Diana would do. Yeah. Yeah. And the two of them, you know, at, at certain points in the series, they play off each other because they're both playing Diana and they're both confusing everybody mm-hmm. back and forth. And they both are kind of thinking the same way and basically are even to the point of almost completing each other's thoughts. That is true. And that leads into another one of uh, the very many strong female characters in this show, which would be Soshi, because she's also just a whole bunch of contrasts because, um, you know, one of the things you see about her throughout the whole series, but especially at the very beginning, is obviously she has a thing for Laron. From day one, when um, she, day one. she found him, um, when they crashed their little, um, the bathing experience in the, um, in the river. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. he was trying to grab his little fish. But yeah, from day one when um when they hooked him up with that great job in the mines. <laughs> yeah. And then it finally booted him up to become Benson. <laughs> you know, she she's she's got the hots for him and that adds to the contrast about her when her father is killed and she develops this very deep hatred for the moon race and very early on you know she just wants to like she wants to fight the moon race and she wants to get a revenge for her father and then everything gets turned upside down when she finds out that Loran is a moon race. Yeah. yeah. And at first, you know, she is like really bitchy around him, but you know, you see that she has to develop and deal with this contrast that number one, she hates the moon race and wants to avenge her father. But then number two, she has the hots for Loran for years and he's a moon race, you know, so she can't really demonize them as she tries to because this dude that she's in love with is one of them. And then you've got the further complication later on when she meets Gavin Gooney, a.k.a. Clark Gable, <laughs> and sort of sweeps her off her feet. Yeah. And then he tragically gets killed. Oh, man, yep. hardcore, too. Was, and go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that was that was a very that was a very melancholy experience in that show. And, and, and it's funny because that show didn't have that many dramatic That's... scenes with someone dying. It's the one Gundam show where the death count doesn't get past I don't know 10 <laughs> when if, it comes uh, to when it comes to main characters in the, yeah. in the in the plot it's like it's you you watch this show and you're wondering you know when is the when is the when is the slaughter going to begin and it really doesn't um mm-hmm. Loran I don't think uh, correct me if I'm wrong but Loran doesn't kill one person in the show personally. he actually does cuz uh you know I I should probably mention that you know anticipation of of doing this segment mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't seen Turn A in about maybe 6 years since the time I reviewed it back in 2002 right so I marathon the whole show and um, I was keeping watch of this, and from what I can tell, there's really actually only one person that Laurent actually kills Ooh. in the whole series. Who is that? Uh, he's one of the guys who pilots the uh, Zassen. Okay. 
it's a guy with glasses and uh, the Zasun being based off of the Zasa from Double Zeta. Yeah. And uh, Loran blows the dude apart with missiles from his core fighter. Yeah. So, oh. I mean, there's no way that that guy survived. There's, there's no way then. But, yeah. man, I, that... that, that... That that is guy is that the one guy and that's it pretty much because he went out of his way to not kill anybody yeah, yeah. He, he he did and I, I guess he was forced to do it in that situation but for the most yeah, part there's he, not much he could do yeah I can't blame him but at the same time it's remarkable really that in the Gundam series that the main character is not taking out people left and right I mean especially with all the fights that are in the show they're not that many but I mean. You know when they when they when they came down to it, a lot of them were with melee weapons, and then people still didn't get killed. So <laughs> it was amazing. But anyway, also uh, this also deserves a bit of mention because I think she's very underrated. Another great character in this show. Uh, would you guys uh, agree, Lily Borjano? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When she shows up, it's the a Southern street. Bell. What's that? Southern Bell. The Southern Bell from Russia. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting about her is that, you know, when she first shows up, you think that she's just like a spoiled nobleman's daughter and she's kind of got a thing for Gwen Lineford and you think that that's just all she's going to be. But you see even there that she's incredibly intelligent. Uh, she's very shrewd, has a very keen political sense. And in terms of reading a situation and reacting, I think she's actually better than Gwen is at dealing these these things. Wow. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, she was the type of character that would put the front up and she would show that you know maybe she's you know like you said maybe the spoiled debutante and all this but she also took note of everything that was going on and when things had to be done and things had to be taken care of that's when she was able to step up i mean um she was able not only to walk the walk but talk the talk but initially you didn't know that because you're kind of shown that you know there's there's two sides to her kind of like we've been saying all through as we've talked about these characters there's two sides to just about all these characters yeah and and the thing about gwen is that you see in the contract between him and her is that from day one his obsession is technology. Oh, yeah. Even though he appears to be like the guy who is in good faith negotiating for peace, he always, always reminds us at every turn that his obsession and his desire is more and more technology. Yes. Which makes it then not so surprising that he eventually betrays everyone later on to sh- oh, yeah. join up with Jim Ginganem yeah. because he wants that technology. And there's a very interesting exchange because um, you know throughout the whole series, we see this whole thing of... Uh, the way he accident he not accidentally but uh, willfully mispronounces Lauren's name as Laura, Laura, and of course this leads to you know dressing him up as Laura Rolla to trick the Moonrace into thinking that he's a girl. Yeah. Right. Which was his and other obsession, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know quite to say if you know if he had like some kind of feelings for Loran because when uh, he tries to kidnap Loran and bring him back to Earth with him, and Loran basically is like screw you, and and he runs away. Yeah, you, you, he just looks so devastated. He's like, Laura, Laura, no, my Laura. Whoa, what's what's going on there? I think he had his... And I don't know, he, he might have just had something for Laurent, but there's this great exchange in the very last episode uh, where he's talking about uh, his beloved Laura, and Lily says to him, you know, uh, Lauren's a man, and if you love him so much, then you should put on a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> and said back to her that uh, I don't think that the world is ready for a revolution to be led by someone wearing a skirt. And then when he runs off with Marybelle, she says, "Well, you go do your thing, and I'll, I'll, you know, take over the entire country under my skirt." Right on. Yeah. That was that was pretty. That was pretty shrewd of her to say. <laughs> 
Lily, Lily was a Lily was a firebrand. I, I loved her character, and um, and Gwen, he was he was um uncommon f- a character for a series like this. He's kind of a I wouldn't say a magnificent bastard, but he's uh, that mas- mastermind character. You know, he and, is. And he has his, go along with him. Yeah, yeah. You go along. I mean, he's likable throughout the course of the show. It's just he just at the towards the end, you just don't agree with his ambitions. But you know, at the same time, you you invested all this all this um. I wouldn't say emotion, but just time with this character that you don't want to see him go a bad way. But then, you know, eventually the whole party gets broken up thanks to his betrayal. I don't know. I, I found this whole obsession with uh with Laura just kind of off-putting. But at the time, it was pretty um it's pretty unique to a Gundam series because I never you never saw something like that in a Gundam show before, where you kind of had that um you crossdresser. Kinda, what's that crossdresser? Not so much a crossdresser, but um because you see, I've, well, I there've been, been a things before. Gundam show. Judo was yeah. our yeah. first oh, yeah. Gundam crossdresser. Judo broke ju- Judo broke through the mold with that yes. one. But no, to see an obsession where a male character, you know. Had a, had affection like that for another male character was kind of it was kind of off putting at the time, but I I think it was also kind of groundbreaking at the same time. It never was fully explained, but I always found that as something of note. Another I thing, that, I think it's one of those things better not explain. Well then, been peop- well no, because people. <laughs> I mean, you don't always have to explain everything. It's just better sometimes yeah. just to have it where the mystery, okay, whatever. You know, it's as great as appeal. The other thing I liked about this show is not only were there homages to mechs in from previous Gundam series, but there were also homages to characters from other Gundam series. Like um, one of the characters that comes to my mind every time is Teleth, who for some reason reminds me so much of Matilda. And her, the impression that was put upon Loran from her is the same impression that Amuro had from Matilda in the original Gundam series, where, you know, this is his first experience with an older woman, you know, he was attracted to her at the same time, and although Matilda was all you know all in support of Amaro and and Tel had her own deal going on, they still kind of had that same effect on the main character and um i I always liked her character for that and then um Koran, I had to disagree with that. you you want to dis go ahead <laughs> okay because I mean the whole thing about matilda and and Titith is that aside from being redheads, there's really not much to like them about them at all because Matilda is, you know, sort of the dutiful, uh, you know, cargo transport who's out there helping the white base to the point that she sacrifices herself. Yeah. Whereas, you know, uh, Titith is this, you know, sort of busty assassin who um, is very bitter because of the discrimination she faced as an Earth person growing up on the moon yeah. and, you know, will do anything to find that acceptance. And, Amuro definitely did have a thing for Matilda, but Loran and Tedeth, you know, his, you know, connection to her didn't really extend beyond anything more than the concern that he shows for everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I, he, I, he, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't especially more concerned about her in any sort of way than he was about anybody else. Yeah, I they, mean, he would be just as concerned about all other people. I just always thought that was his older woman experience, and, you know, I, I thought there was a little bit of a spark there, but that might have been just me. But um, the only other character I can think of that um, that reminded me of kind of characters of past is um, Corin Nander, where, you know, he was like the first, he was like the new type of the series, kind of. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but he did exhibit some new type abilities, I guess, or at least hints of such. I, I thought it was, I thought uh, mainly... He sees weak zero in his head, but that, that's, that's about it. Oh, man. I, th- I thought... And the whole it... thing with this guy is he's crazy because yeah. he saw the history as it happened. And it drove him nuts. Oh yeah. wow! And he was, and then he's put in to what cryostasis, and then you know he comes put in cryostasis back. for like centuries and centuries, and now he comes back and he sees you know the turn A again, and you know it just drives him nuts. 
Because don't they also talk, um, I might be wrong on this, but I thought they said that he was actually kind of damaged through his cryostasis, that he might have been in there like too long, too. Yeah, the, the, the issue is actually raised uh, by, uh, I think, Fran of, you know, what, ha- would, what happens, you know, when people go into cryogenic stasis yeah. multiple times. And even Diana, one, she, she actually brings up questioning if she can rem- remember her own mother and father. Yeah, yeah. So there might be some kind of effect on memories if, um, you know, if you go into stasis for too long. Because even though we don't know anything about his past... You know, he did have contact with the turns during the the Black History, and he remembers it and and tries to stop it from happening at the end of the show. That was the whole reason why they brought him out, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. was to go against the turn A. So, um, yeah, maybe he was with Oz for a little bit. Maybe he was in the Trace <laughs> faction there for you know a couple months, and then he got you know frozen or something. But uh, I think another thing that bears mentioning here is uh, the war itself, because in pretty much every Gundam series before this even though in uh in the war you had sympathetic characters on both sides in every show it was always immediately obvious who was in the wrong yeah but in this series they really don't do that because you know you have the moon race which they have 10 million people in cryogenic stasis because the moon's not big enough for all of them and they need to come back to earth and live there but they go about it the wrong way and then you've got Earth people who are becoming more aggressive, but it's understandable because they were invaded and they're trying to defend their homelands. And it didn't occur to me, it kind of occurred to me back then, but, uh, you know, six years ago, but it's become ever more obvious in, in, the, in recent years that there's uh, quite a striking parallel between, you know, the way this conflict uh, occurs and uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. <laughs> oh, true. That's an interesting comparison. I want to hear your take on that. Well, I mean, in a sense, you have um, you know the the people in the moon race who have been living on the moon for about you know two thousand years, and then you have you know the Jews who are coming back to Israel, which had sort of ceased to be its own independent country, mm-hmm. you know, a long, long time ago under the Roman Empire. Right. And now they've come back to their ancestral land to try to reclaim it as their own. But in both cases, you have people who, you know, have been living there in the meantime. Right. Yeah. No, I can see that then. And not to get too political, but I think it's just, it's, it's, it's an interesting parallel. And it just shows that, you know, both sides have legitimate reasons for doing what they're doing it's just sort of methods they choose to do those things that are questionable yeah they both have claims to the area they both um have rights and they have history um you know to these areas but one side chose a different way and the other side felt threatened and you know went into defense mechanism and for whatever reason instead of just doing the right thing and maybe sitting down and discussing it first they have to do the old human response of uh let's go to war so yeah no i definitely get that the other thing i liked about it too dealing with the war is it starts on earth um you know we we have the brief thing at the beginning with um you know laron and laron and them coming down but uh, everything comes down to earth the, the first battles on earth we go up to space for a short time but pretty much um the battle ends the show ends on earth i mean uh, the final battle which is, is between jim and uh and laron and the turn A and the turn X uh, starts in space, but it ends on Earth. One of the, one of the and one of the few rarities in the Gundam show. Yeah, because <laughs> we we can't count Double O yet since we don't know how What's that's going to happen. End. That's yeah. true. A turn A is the 
is only one of two series where the final battle takes place on Earth, the other one being Victory. Mm-hmm. And Turn A is also one of the only series where um, you know, the final battle between the, the hero and, and the, uh, the last boss extends from outside of the mobile suit to hand-to-hand. Yeah, yeah. the homage the, to Shar and Armour. Yeah, I was about to say it's a throwback to, the, the, to old school right there. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, to the point where they're fighting with samurai swords? Oh my god, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. that, that mess was exhilarating for real. I, I just I, I I love the direction in that final episode up until the, it's 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 conclusion uh, for the fight and especially the epilogue at the very end of the show, which you know shows you and shows how everybody ends up. We should probably talk about that to to wrap this up because yeah. uh, this is you know one of those few Gundam series where you know the the end of the show isn't literally just the end of the final battle. We actually get quite a lot of closure. Yeah. What do you guys think of of the ending of the show? I liked it. You know, it's, uh, I think when we talked about the end of Code Geass, it reminded me of the ending of, of uh, Turn A, where, you know, the final battle happens uh, much earlier in the, in, the, in the episode, and we get to see, not necessarily knowing how much time has passed, but we know that some time has passed, not too far off in the future, but we see, you know, the unusual pairings that we that were developed, the relationships, and we see that in a lot of ways, most of these people are going back to what they were doing at the beginning. Um, you know, you see Lily going back to her country. You know, we see that Diane and uh, Kiel for good switch up. Um, we see so she get crapped on. Um, we Damn. see uh, Gwyn go off with uh, Harley Quinn. And, <laughs> awesome. And, uh, you know, we get to see that Keith has achieved his, his of, um, what was it, the Donkey Bakery? He opened up, finally opened it's up the, 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 the Donkey, donkey bakery. bakery. And uh, Fran has her child. And, you know, for Gundam, it was, it was finally nice to see that for once, all the sweat, tears, and blood that these people had shed during the series it actually ended up giving them a happy ending. They actually got to just get back to their lives. Or we don't see it as much in any of the other shows. <laughs> it's always like, you know, the the loss and, you know, they're, they're always changed. But, you know, these people were changed, but they were changed for the good. And, uh, well, X, so, you know, they took their time to have yes. an epilogue for a few minutes and show everybody pretty much have a happy ending and, and go on to lead a normal life. Because right. uh, in contrast to turn A, you had Victory, which spent a few minutes, uh, you know, with an epilogue after the war. But man, it's such a downer of an ending. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you got everybody just dealing with like so much loss, and oh. you know, the whole thing with the uh, blind Katagina and all of that. It's like, yeah, you know, the people who are alive still lived on, and they went back to peaceful lives. But man, it was so depressing. What, what were their lives better off now than they were before? That was that was the thing that was the sense that you get at the end of turn A. I, th- I think for the most part, most of those people's lives were better off at the end of the show than they were when they began. And there was hope because you said, well, you know, hopefully the two races will continue to work together and, and, and to you know and to and to move on. Not like an act, or not like a, a victory where it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, blind wandering girl and you know all this other stuff and. But um, well, there's a lot more pieces to pick up at the end of victory than there are in turn A. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I I, th- I think it was a, I think it was uh, done very well and it it was just. You know, it was kind of, I got the same feeling that I got in X2 where, you know, I felt at the end of X, those people, they were better off at the end than they were at the beginning. Yeah. And, um, you know, they, so. they, they, they came to a better place basically. Yeah. Um, all the hard work actually paid off this time. Yeah. Instead of, <laughs> instead of festering into an even worse situation with another series <laughs> later on. Yeah. <laughs> 
But um, my my take on the Turn A Gundam ending, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I felt bad for say aforementioned Soshi, but I you you can see you can see that you know Lauren always had devotion towards the Queen, and it was it was it was something to never be. And although I may be the only one that feels that way, I I, I kind of feel that she's kind of akin to Frau Bo. But although Frau Bo did end up with someone at the end of her her run, and so she ended up with um pretty much herself <laughs> and her crazy mom and her and crazy, crazy mom. mom. But what's cool is um I like the fact that the show pays homage to the beginning of its show uh, of the show when she goes back to the river mm-hmm. and throws the fish yeah. into it and you know she's bawling the entire time but that's her way of just dealing with the situation knowing that you know not everything goes your way and it was for you know it's this I I got to say it's the only sad the only sad aspect of this ending and that's very unlike Tomino I mean this is like the start of Happy Tomino I didn't see brain power well, so I don't to, know how that ended but I, I don't know if that was necessarily sad it was sad maybe that she didn't it get was with her it was but, yeah, it's a bittersweet ending but the but, fact I mean, that she threw the fish in the whole series the mm-hmm. fact that she threw the fish meant that she finally just had closure with the fact that there's as much as I love Laron, yeah. I'm never going to be with him. So you yeah. know what? I have to move on and throwing the fish. Allow her to is, let it go. More, and so, yeah, I, I think it was a bit more bittersweet than actually sad. I mean, and no, she's not Frabo. Oh, she'll, she'll be. She'll be. <laughs> Frabo had well, all the. She had, she had children. Yeah, she, know, had she had all she got over going it for she, You can see that she got over it they during. They got rid from, of cots d- for her. Yeah. Um, you know, it was sad <laughs> that Hayato <laughs> went, but. <laughs> so. <laughs> Frabo's life is looking up. Yeah. But no, I, I love that ending for Turn A Gundam, and it is just out of all the endings of the Tamino series I've seen for Gundam, it's the most. It's it, it is it is the most upbeat out of all of them. And I I, I love this show. I think it's one of the one of one of the best Gundam shows I've ever seen, and it's one of my favorite um alternate universe series. You should probably mention at this point that uh, you know there were two compilation movies, Earthlight and Moonlight Butterfly. Yep. I don't know if you guys saw them, but uh, yes. I recommend them. people uh, avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> I avoid them like the plague. There's too much. There, there was too much that happened in the TV show to really cram down into those movies. It, it really is. I mean, if if you have to watch them, just go into that knowing that, and please watch the TV show first. But they're not as painful as the Menace of Zeon, the uh, Stardust Memory one. <laughs> that was. The problem is that it really, it really should have been a trilogy mm-hmm. because yes. there's two. I mean, the the pacing of the second movie is just fine because it only covers like, you know, the last third of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first movie covers way too much ground. The editing is far too rough, and unfortunately, they cut out far too many good parts of the show. Yeah, yeah. Like one of my favorite parts of the show uh, was the uh, little arc they had in Adesca when they're trying to get to the uh, mass driver and take off to the moon. Yep doesn't even factor into you know these movies they just go yeah. from earth they're in space boom yeah so there's a lot of really good stuff that's cut out and it's a real shame that they didn't get to have you know three movies to do this and had there been three had the first movie actually been two movies it would be just fine and probably be a great compilation movie but yeah as it is i can't really uh can't recommend really it rec- <laughs> <laughs> so just to wrap things up any uh other final thoughts gentlemen Tornado gundam excellent series um would I give that to someone as their first Gundam series? Um, probably no, because they probably wouldn't appreciate it as much as if they watched another Gundam show first. But if I, it's still an excellent series, and if you're if you're curious on watching it, I'd say go for it. It's it's an excellent show and the most offbeat Gundam series you'll probably watch. Well, my closing thought would just be um, like I always say when it comes to a lot of these um, shows, especially when they're cut within a franchise. Uh, don't always believe what you hear. 
Um, you know, sometimes just because certain people don't like an aspect of something uh, doesn't mean that you're not going to like it and vice versa. But, um, yeah, I, I think for a Gundam novice, uh, it is definitely probably not a something I would recommend. But, you know, you know, mid-level to advanced Gundam fan, I would definitely say definitely advanced Gundam fans. I mean, um, you know, if you've been through uh, all of Universal Century and some of the alternate centuries, definitely take a look at this. And, um, you know, it, it does display, it displays Tamino's storytelling abilities. And in a lot of ways, it's almost kind of like his ability when he wrote the Mobile Suit Gundam book. Uh, he kind of took kind of the same approach a little bit and actually fleshing out a story and, and telling it and not just always relying on midair docking sequences and, um, <laughs> you know, mobile suit combat and uh, really knowing not only your A-list characters, but your B and your C-list characters in the show. So, but um, yeah, but don't get turned off by White Devil with mustache because he's not too bad. Chris? <laughs> I would say that, uh, you know, looking back, you know, I sort of see the uh, turn A as, as sort of the, the culmination of everything Tamino's done with the franchise and sort of it displays his evolution as a director and a storyteller. And I see that rather fittingly as sort of like his final word on, on Gundam because even though he did come back, you know, a few years ago and did the Zeta movies, it's really not quite the same. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've stated plenty of times that I think he's he's pretty much done with the franchise yeah. and if he is indeed done with the franchise there's probably no better way to go out than to have this be you know the last new contribution that he made because it's really a phenomenal series and um, definitely not something to be seen for a newbie it's sort of like a sort of like a fine wine you have to savor it and, and enjoy yeah. it at just the right time mm-hmm. with you know like a nice steak yeah yes. nice uh nice Merlot, you know with a fine piece of prime rib or uh, prime yeah, rib porterhouse i agree it's not like, you know, like a 40, like, like Destiny that, that you just drink when you want to get drunk. Yeah. Not a, not a, not the MD 2020 then. Some Sainides. Sainides malt liquor, but yeah, MD 2020, but yeah. That, that's not about alcohol because we're not Dignation and we're not going to get into yeah. booze. So Darn. that pretty much wraps up uh, this segment of Gundam Roundup and join us next time for uh, some controversy because we're going to be hitting up the last Gundam uh, product of the 20th century the wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful Canadian movie G-Savior Yay! (laughs) And for that we'll be joined by Peter who is going to offer the Canadian defense of G-Savior Oh man, yes, that's a train wreck waiting to happen I guess I guess it's I guess um I guess those of Canadian heritage will be split on this one. Cuz as the Perhaps. as as the American with the Canadian heritage, I um I think I will probably lock horns with my with my Canadian great brethren. white neighbor and my brethren there. Watch for that next time you're listening to Gundam at MHQ. We'll be right back. Boy, it's lucky you had these cards. Use them for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in them. This is ridiculous. Even if I could take off, I'd never get past the tractor beam. Leave that to me. Goddamn fool, I knew that you were going to say that. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Honestly, if it wasn't because this was in the Gundam franchise and I had just was I was just watching it on TV 
I wouldn't have even finished watching it. The only yeah. reason I even sat through it was because of the fact that it was specifically Gundam. If it wasn't even Gundam, yeah. it, it would just turn me off so much that I said, screw this. Why would I, I would just you know, change channel? Why would I bother wasting my time with this? And the, and the other question that I have is if you're going to be doing something called the, the, the Big Bang 20th Anniversary, why wouldn't you put something quality out? I mean, you're here. It's not even the fact. I mean, they could have gone with the whole story of consent and all that and whatever. But here you're producing something to celebrate a franchise that's 20 years old. It's a pretty storied franchise that you're trying to, I, I guess they're trying to, they're trying to bring it over. Maybe that's the reason why they did it, you know, in, you know, with English act, English speaking actors I can't and wait. everything like that. But the thing is, is why not? put a little bit more care in it and like chris said it doesn't matter if you have 500 million or 500,000 if there's some have somebody that's got a director or mm -hmm. a scriptwriter, somebody that's going to have the ability to you know try to convey something in it then let why not do it because the, i mean for something to be a, tw a 20th anniversary thing mm -hmm. it's pretty horrible i well, mean it, it's 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 memorable because it's a memorable well, piece of crap released with it Look where most of their budget probably went to turn A Gundam. Well, so. We're not even talking about Yeah, but Bandai, Bandai has been for a long time doing multiple Gundam yeah. projects in a single year. Well, they can juggle with two hands, and besides, they're, they're two different teams. The point yeah. is that G-Savior was done on the cheap. Let's look at it for a second. This movie was made in 1999. All of the consent, the ground troops, their uniforms came from Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and those uniforms have been recycled to like 5,000 different cheap sci-fi movies. And uh, television shows. At, yeah. You look at the, uh, the mechanical designs. Okay, you got, you got Kunio Kawara uh, doing kind of the same old tired stuff he always does. You look at the mobile suits. The designs of the mobile suits in every aspect look like they're going backwards mm -hmm. instead of forwards. I mean, these things are clunky and slow. And old look, they look like something that came out of the One Year War. Yeah, I mean, just look at, for example, uh, you look at the cockpits. You know, for some reason, they've seemingly regressed back to you know the old One Year War style cockpit instead of you know the 360 degree see, cockpit. See that? That I think is a ridiculous complaint because. Do you think that they could honestly pull off the effects to do a 360 monitor? And that, that's if what they that... had a good budget, I know I'm not a moron. I can tell that it's because they had no budget. But these are some of the things that result from that. It looks cheap. You look at all of the like props yeah. and everything. You see like but... big old computers. It looks like something that's even older. I mean, yeah, it is 10 years old now. Yeah. But for something that's 10 years old, it looks like it's even older than 10 years old. Gundam. Damn. Next episode, you will see the tears of time. Welcome back, everybody, to Gundam at MAHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and we're going to continue with some, uh, you know, open discussion, open forum type uh, topic here. And this is actually kind of interesting. It kind of relates to some things that we've spoken about briefly in some past episodes, um, you know, dealing with some of uh, fan reactions uh, to uh, certain shows. And this is actually pretty interesting. On the Sunkaku Complex, there was actually a interview uh, with, um, they talk about an uh, interview that was recently done with Seiji Mezushima. He's the uh, the director of the Gundam 00. 
And they have an abridged summary of some of the interviewers' questions on there. We're just going to kind of go over a couple of the points and then maybe come some of our um, some of our impressions and, you know, just kind of go from there. But um, basically, uh, he was talking, uh, Mezushima was talking about the tremendous pressure of creating a Gundam show because of all the um, the history behind it. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of knee-jerk uh, negativity has uh, actually been lowering some of the creative motivation of the production staff. And there's, I'm going to go over a couple of the um, couple of the questions here. And one of the, the interviewer's first question was, the creation of the Mobile Suit Double uh, O was called the Monumental Project as a continuation of the Mobile Suit Gundam series, a series embraced by people ranging from 10 years old to their 50s. And he basically says he was extremely happy to become the series directors, and he's in his early 40s, and he actually was, you know, part of that generation that was brought up watching the original Mobile Suit Gundam series. So even though he's not very um, familiar with all the details of the entire Gundam franchise, um, you know, he's he's ever since entering the production anime production business, he's always wanted to work on Gundam show at least once. And he thinks that a lot of people in the Japanese anime industry feel the same way. Um, you know, he says it's an honor being in charge of the series, but on the other hand, it does feel like putting one's hand at the fire sometimes. And the, the you know, the, of course, the interviewer elaborates, how's that? And he says, you know, creating a new series is like, entails a lot of large risk for the creator. And it's just a major title. The creative staff's not as free to exercise as much freedom in the show's creation and the staff must always be on their guard and you know definitely from things from fans saying things like Gun uh, Gundam isn't like that and this Gundam is no good it sounds like we're almost going with Code Geass stuff here oh no what we're mentioning that show again <laughs> taboo taboo sorry I, I I didn't mean to I didn't mean to talk about that but uh it and you know of course the interviewer talks does a um a comparison of like the auto industry when a big name company changes an old model and the fans of the old models are distraught and he says you know the the expectations are very high for properties like Gundam and you know what would happen when a change is made to a famous car model is no I'd prefer it like this are are usually heard well, you know, the production people, he said, they usually prefer to hear positive contents, comments, but that's not been the case. You know, the new Jack reactions are, what is this? And that's uncool. So there's a couple other questions we'll go over, but, um, you know, I'm just going to kind of throw this to Chris and Solbro based on, you know, the first couple of things that we read here or that I, that I read out to everybody. What are, you know, and, and based, this is based on the Japanese audiences. This doesn't have anything relating with what's being said over here in the States. But, you know, you guys jump in, you know, with some of your impressions on that of, of what, you know, Mr. Mishishima had talked about and, um, you know, some of the things, uh, you know, some of your thoughts on this. Well, what's their major complaint with the series? Basically, he's just talking about the, the pressures of it. And because it is a change from, you know, there are different things within it not being like traditional first Gundam or Zeta or something like that. You know, there, there's Gundams in it, but they've done a lot of changes with the storytelling aspects. They get, you know, they, they thought that people would be open to those changes. But, you know, mostly what they're hearing is, why is this happening? This isn't Gundam. This isn't the way it should be. So, Oh, my God. I mean, we've been through almost 30 years of so many interpretations <laughs> of Gundam that... A, a, a fresh take is not. It's just not the first time we've had a fresh take on Gundam. So I mean, they, I guess they 
they're not prone to reserve judgment until the series is over. But I mean, this is coming from the country that enjoyed Destiny, uh, you know, as a whole. And <laughs> I, I can't take him seriously on this. Although I guess Mr. Shima's taking him as seriously as he possibly can. But he he really needs to not listen to these guys. It, it's, well, basically, that's what he's saying. It's yeah. you try not to listen to him, but, but when you're the hard. director and you have people of the production staff hearing these things it and these them things do come up, yeah. his big thing is it's it's kind of zapping their motivation. It's, so. it's affecting the, the creative dynamic behind the show, and and that that's an unfortunate that's an unfortunate outcome. I I, I don't want to see them become affected by this. That's terrible, man. Um, well, you know, when it comes to, to bitchy fans, that's something that knows no borders. And regardless of differences in societies and cultures, you know, people who are fans, fanatics of something, are always going to complain regardless of where they are. So, oh, yeah. you know, even though the interview is addressing uh, the Japanese fan base, you could easily apply everything to the Western fan base. Um, oh, yeah. You know, the interviewer asked about knee-jerk reactions, and Mizushima says, well, they're not criticisms based on close inspection of the product or by closely following the story, but rather by merely looking at pictures of the show and superficial appearance. Right now, the Internet is a place where commentary of the series travels extremely fast. Whether it is positive or negative, talk travels quickly there. People that want to flame the show approach the series right from the start, from the vector of, I hate it, and on the Internet, they can find other sympathetic people with which to search for points of shared dislike. They've already gotten on the flow of hate, and so there's really no helping it, yes. which is exactly the same in Western fandom. Yeah. yeah. The, when I got into anime fandom back, you know, like 14 years ago, the internet was in its infancy, and you had, you know, AOL and Prodigy chat rooms and, oh, oh man. like, 24K modem, that kind of thing. BBS, son. Exactly. <laughs> so most people didn't have the internet, and if you talked about anime, you would talk about it with you know, a couple of people if they were into it, and you wouldn't have much to talk about because there wasn't much available. Obviously, that's changed because there's a lot more things that are available these days, but also, you know, not just the, the fact that things are more available, but, um, you know, there's always more outlets to talk about things on, and you've got, with the Internet, you know, something airs in Japan, and, you know, within an hour, there's already a RAW that can be downloaded online and watched by people all over the world. Yeah, yeah. The Whereas before there was the barrier of you know years in some cases, yeah. You'd have to wait for you know like a raw videotape or you know a horribly subbed looking raw videotape to come over, and you find it in a comic shop, and you couldn't discuss it with people because things were just hard to find. Yeah. But in this world now of the internet, you know, hypercritical is is becoming the norm, and I've seen it especially in America, you know, become a lot more prevalent in the last say five to ten years when it comes to anime fandom where, you know, things are airing and literally minutes later there's already people complaining about every single thing they didn't like about what they just saw. Yeah, and I, I think what's kind of interesting with some of the his answers, especially at the beginning, you know, some of the things that we read there is um, he's not even really talking as much of the, you know, the, the raws being readily available on the Internet. It's just now there's just such hate by seeing, like, a scan. You know, a, a scan of a scene or, like, the line art of, like, uh, a, you know, some secondary character or a mobile suit. And, I and that just, happens here, too. Yeah, I just don't understand how you can sit there and, you know, it's kind of like our discussion, you know, when we were talking what's important with more than the, the, the mechs or the characters. And, yeah, it, it is kind of, you know, it, it, those type of line art and stuff that's there to kind of bring you in. But if you're just going to judge something on that, I mean, 
the whole idea of that is to bring you in and then if you like it then you're gonna find more information out about it but this whole thing of like just because i see graham Akers' first suit and say that <laughs> um you know boy that thing looks stupid and god you know i don't know what the heck they're doing with the show and you know tomino would have never done this or whatever and you know, it's just i understand his kind of pain there because on one end you're being told what you're doing is great but then you're always kind of taught that you know you always people that you know that are artistic and do artistic things they always base a lot of what the fans tell them and you know when you're hearing supposed fans and i use quotes when i say fans sitting there crapping on stuff before they're even seeing it i can see where it could kind of get you a little bit and and you know i got to give them his credit that it doesn't seem like it's really affecting the production or you know the progress of the show now but yeah i mean it's 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 a really childish thing that these people are doing. I mean, an example of that, um, you know, when when the show was announced and they finally started showing designs, for as many people who loved them, there were a lot of people that were also complaining about them yeah. and saying, oh, "Oh, what is this? You know, you got this fat thing, then you got this green thing, and then you got this orange Zeta, and blah 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 yep. blah blah." And then once the show started, all of that trolling stopped, and but then. A few months later, they start showing off the designs for season two, mm-hmm. and it's deja vu all over again. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, this thing looks horrible. This thing looks horrible. This sucks. Blah 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 blah. And now, you know, that's died down. Or another example: uh, a few months ago, you know, they finally unveiled the um, design of the new USS Enterprise for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Oh yeah. And most everywhere that I rent, on sci-fi forums, on Star Trek forums, on any kind of place, it was just nothing but endless complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining about the design of the Enterprise. Yep. That and um, Kirk wearing a black shirt. Well, <laughs> that aside, but let's well, I mean, look for a second. That, that's how ridiculous it got, though. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look, for example, at, at, at this, this Star Trek movie because, you know, where we stand now, it's still five months from coming out. Nobody right. has seen this movie. All that we've got mm-hmm. is the trailer that came out a while ago. But there has been so much complaining and, you know, tearing apart the trailer bit by bit by bit. People complaining, oh, how come Kirk's an adult when he's seen the Enterprise getting built? And how come this is happening like this? And how come that's happening like that? And the design of the Enterprise, it looks too squat and it looks like this. And why does it look like that? And what's this doing over here? And this doesn't make any sense. And this didn't happen like this in the original series. It's like, oh my God, shut the hell up. <laughs> and, and but, what... you know, I've, after, you know, it's like at this point, you know, being a recovering Star Trek fan, I'm not even surprised anymore because, you know, that's the way this entire fandom has been for four decades. Yeah. yeah. And therein lies my problem. And this is one of the things I was thinking about after I read with uh, this, this interview with Mizushima, which is, you know, at what point do you, know, do you have to say to the fans, you know, just shut up. We're going to do this story the way we want to do it because, you know, the fans have so many preconceived notions about where they think something should be. And, you know, as it's become increasingly obvious with the Internet... If, you know, these, these uh, you know, exact specifications aren't met, you can be damn well sure they're going to go online and bitch about them. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, if you went by all of the, like, hardcore fans and their demands, you know, this would be, like, a very stale movie that would not have any appeal to any audience. And I say this not having seen this movie because, obviously, I haven't. It may be a piece of crap. It may be fantastic. But it's clear that they're trying to appeal to a broader audience with yep. this and... 
make something that will make some money because, you know, Nemesis failed and was the lowest grossing Star Trek movie of all time. And Star Trek movies have, let's face it, a history of being very hit or miss. Yeah. Yeah, before you used to have the odds curse, but then Nemesis, you know, broke the mold and and made that curse apply to the evens, too. Uh, Another example, the 2007 Transformers movie. Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, yeah. There was so much built-in hatred going into that movie. For example, Michael Bay directing it. I'm no fan of Michael Bay. I think a lot of his movies are crap, but, you know, I wanted to see what he would do. And then there was so much complaining about the designs and, you know that the story was done like this and the story's done like that. And, you know, the end product is a decent movie. It's not anything fantastic. It's not perfect by any means, and I'm hoping that the sequel will be better. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you heard it from, you know, these ultra, ultra, ultra hardcore Transformers fans, the movie, in their eyes, was a failure if it wasn't a shot-by-shot remake yeah. of the 80s cartoon with oh, the yeah. exact same signs and the exact same coloration and all of the exact same voice actors and everything. Oh, yeah. No. If, it didn't, if, it didn't, if it wasn't that, then it was going to suck. Yeah, Neo but and I went to... still have that, that opinion. Well, the, the thing about that, when you, when you bring it up about uh, Transformers, it's actually kind of interesting because it did what it was supposed to do. It was, it's supposed to entertain you. It's supposed to make you not feel like you're just sitting in a, a movie chair for two hours and, you know, waiting for the credits to roll, um, you know, and, and it did the major thing that the studios want. It made money <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it created buzz and it gave them a platform to make additional movies. Yeah. But before we will hit that, I will, I'm going to bring back Gundam Confessional. Oh, no. Because <laughs> Solbro now is to, because Solbro was one of the people. Oh, yeah. When it came to Transformers, oh, would you yeah. like to confess any sins? I was, about, I was just about to get into that. Remember, okay. the, remember that panel we went to at, um, at a convention not too long ago yeah. where they were ragging on the movie? Mm-hmm. That's when I actually changed my opinion to some degree because I had saw the most recent trailer for the movie, and it didn't look so bad. But beforehand, when it wasn't even confirmed that they had Peter Cullen, um, and the Transformers looked so far out there that I just thought that I had made the assumption that I, the movie was just going to be a bastardization of what I had grown to love. And then I, I remember having a discussion with you where, you know, you went back and watched the original TV show. It's terrible. And, and, and you, had, you, 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 you had come to the sobering realization that it was an over-glorified toy commercial. It's a toy commercial. It's a 22-minute car- commercial. At least the earlier seasons are. up, And, and, and even so, I mean, throughout the, I mean, the entire the span of the show. The later generations are a lot different. Yeah, you had yeah. A, a little bit of better writing and whatnot right. with the advent of the movie. But still, um, it was based upon Generation 1. So, you know, when you look at those original, mo- those original episodes, it it is a tele it, it is a it is a it is infomercial for freaking um right. toys just like any other show was in the eighties. I mean, granted they were cleverly written some of them, but still Transformers does have its share of of stinkers. I yeah. Mean, oh yeah. Bit, oh yes. <laughs> show in the last few years, and good God, it's like oh man, same thing for Voltron. How stupid could that show be at times. Exactly. But it's still an enjoyable show. But I can you know I don't yeah. watch that. Sh- nostalgia glasses yeah. and see it as something so much more than what it is. Yes, it was a precious part of my childhood, but mm-hmm. I can watch it, yeah. still enjoy it, and still recognize that, good God, was there a lot of crap in that show. Well, yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point, Chris, when, you, when you're talking about the Star Trek, the new Star Trek movie, and yeah. I think this would relate to what they're trying to do, uh, getting back to this interview with um, Mr. Shima and about Gundam 00, is the fact that you have, you don't have to attract the people that are already fans. Yeah. Gundam fans are Gundam fans. Star Trek fans are Star Trek fans. Transformer yeah. fans are Transformer fans. They're going to come out regardless. But yeah. For these 
for these series to survive and these franchises to survive, you have to sometimes take back and attract a different audience and try to attract because people's tastes have changed in the last 10 years when it comes to movies that are based on comic book mo- books or kids shows or you know cartoons or anime i mean 10 years ago yeah. you know w- would you have thought that you know some of the biggest movies in, in recent memory would have been based on comic books no because people would have wanted you know big action and all this other stuff you know like, but like people's sp- chase have changed mm-hmm. and they're realizing that and these guys are like you know and 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 as much as you know look at george lucas he did the same thing oh, he thought that there was a new audience for his thing and he what did he do he made those movies you can think what you want about them, but they made he money. attracted a new audience because a lot of kids like them, and here you go. You know, it, it, it's the same thing. But, you know, get to, getting back to this point of, you know, having it and, you know, just getting – just making assumptions again, assuming that a, a series is going to be good or the entire 50-episode series is going to be good or bad mm-hmm. based on two two scans. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, seriously. I, you know, it's – it's just once again it's it's one of these things where the internet's giving um voices to people that don't deserve to be heard here's in a, a lot of ways here's something that um in recent memory that i just saw um um it was just announced the other day that um some details were announced for transformers 2 and one of them was megatron's not in the movie when well, everybody's up in arms with the fact that megatron's not in transform the new transformers movie that's coming out now and no one stopped to think that that could mean that galvatron's in it <laughs> <laughs> which he's the same guy now that's an assumption but michael bay has been very very tricky with all the things that he's been revealing and he's i think he's doing this to spur a lot of talk on the internet because he knows that these uh-huh. trolls are out there who love to talk yeah. crap and it, i think i think if people are smart they'll use these people to their advantage you know you know cause controversy with these guys because with controversy it brings attention to your product and i mean there could be there could be there i think there can be a um a benefit to this negativity because you can prove these people wrong just by goading them in the first place. Well, it's funny going back to this interview. One of, one of the questions mm-hmm. here, um, you know, that this interviewer was talking with, um, you know, Mr. Mr. Shima here was, um, you know, they're talking about internet discussions and, you know, how people post a lot of comments about things about the show. Yeah. And the question being, you know, does, does that sort of criticism tend to only happen on the internet? And he goes, it's more obvious on the internet and more so on blogs, especially, you know, prevalent on the anonymous bulletin boards. And, you know, these, these, he's, he says here that these knee-jerk reactions re- don't really go up on personal blogs, but more on these bulletin boards where tons of people gather and can post under anonymous pseudonyms. A lot of flaming directed towards films, books, musical artists, and the like can be found there also. I sometimes think that these people simply dislike anything that is sell- that's selling well. Thus, I think instead of calling them like anti-Gundam 00, it might be better to call them anti-popular. Yeah. I think that the approach of simply not watching the show for enjoyment, but rather to criticize it from the very beginning, is something that is especially noticeable on the Internet. On the medium of the Internet, the sentiments of an- animosity towards major works is very strong, I feel. So, I mean, basically, he's, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, he's, this is a big thing where he's actually saying, you know, hey, look, um, and I kind of agree with this, too. I'm not always Mr. You know, popularity or Mr. Like, you know, what the hot thing is. I'm, I'm always into it because there's, you know, Solbar will tell you there's plenty of movies and TV shows out there that everybody, you know, jizzes over that I think are just, you know, I, I don't care for them. Lost. I, I just lost. don't have, like, lost. <laughs> yeah. And, Heroes. 
Uh, I've never watched Heroes enough to really form. Yeah, that the much jury's still out on, on that one with him. Um, you know. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing about you know anti-popular. It's definitely true because um, you know case in point in in American American um, fandom. I think this is unique because obviously this wouldn't happen in Japanese fandom. That when something is like niche, like when it's you know something that's being fan subbed, it's not mm-hmm. available in America. It's only something that certain people can watch. It's awesome. Yeah. As soon as it's licensed and it's available on American TV, then suddenly it becomes a piece of crap, and the people who like it <clears throat> are through you know watching it in America the legal way. You know, well they're not the real fans, and it was better when this show wasn't you know properly seen by everyone, and it was our exclusive thing. Case in point, yep. uh, would be Naruto. Yep. Wow. Very, very popular show yep. with the American internet fan base in 2002 when it started, but then eventually it got licensed yep. and um, it started airing on American TV. Of course, it's still being fancied. It always has been, always will be, but that's a whole separate discussion and not relevant to us anyway since it's Naruto. But then, <laughs> you know, it started up with like, oh, you know, these Narutards and all these little kitties watching on Cartoon Network. They're not the real fans. It was better when it was just fan subbed and yep. yada yada. It's like they, they, they take like a personal ownership over something that isn't theirs and it's only good when it's exclusive and only a few people can see it. I saw that a lot also with, with Gundam. You know, yeah. when I was getting into the fandom about eight years ago, there were a lot of people who, you know, like certain series. And suddenly it's like now that those series have aired on TV or been released on DVD in America, well, suddenly those things are a piece of crap and, you know, the fans suck. And, you know, this is a uniquely American thing and it just smacks of horrible elitism and I can't stand it. It's as if the shows have an expiration date. You know, well, it's, 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 it's not that. Well, it's not that it has an expiration date. It's yeah. more like it has a critical mass, like yeah. once X number of people watch it and it's not yeah. something exclusive to this small circle of fans, it's yeah. no longer any good because now it's mainstream. Yeah, and, once it's a household name, it's be, it, it, it loses its it luster to these people and then they just decide to, to turn on it. Like, well, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in the the biggest, the best example you can have. I, I grew up listening to a lot of heavy metal and punk rock oh. music and when any of those bands would sell like all of a sudden if a video got played in MTV or it's in regular rotation those bands sold out and everybody freaking hated them now granted like well Metallica oh. did sell out <laughs> well that too but <laughs> they they I mean their their last good album was Ant Justice for All I mean the black album's good but that was the beginning of the sellout oh lars well yeah. for some people the fact that they even started making videos during yeah. Ant Justice for All was selling out yeah I mean even though one's an awesome video it's uh yeah I remember that was a big deal like it was like oh my god man you could finally see Metallica on TV you could never see them anywhere and yeah but I mean it, it's it happens with a lot of bands um you know I remember um you know a, a good example for on the punk rock scene is like a Green Day and an Offspring I used mm-hmm. to listen when I used to skate and stuff we used to listen to Offspring underground tapes what and or a lot harder than what their normal normally yeah. were but as soon as they got big you know people were just hating on them. So, you know, it's it, it's just it is a weird kind of um, mindset. And I, I just I, I I don't understand it. I mean, it, yeah, it's it, sometimes you don't want to, like, follow the leader. But then in a lot of ways, you are following the leader if you're not liking something now just because everybody else likes it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, and, it, and it, it's a shame because, you know, here we actually get to see that. You know, these guys are just, they're just trying to work. This guy is just trying to work. And the production it's, people it, at Double O are just trying to make, make a decent show and, and make something for people to enjoy, like yeah. he says. But I'm sure they're not trying to listen to it. But after a while, you know, negativity, when you're around negativity, 
even if you block it out, yeah. it still can beat you down. Well, the all thing the time. It, the thing is that point of view has it it, it belies common sense. And I, I I wish these creators would realize this that you know when when something becomes popular, people are going to hate it, and it's just a it's just a it's a byproduct of success. And well, you know, they, it, they, they, it's it's not. I understand that, but yeah, but you, know, you got to put yourself in the same position. I mean, yeah. let's let's say let's use the example and this will never happen, but you know, Gundam becomes an international phenomenon. <laughs> but you're going to <laughs> And you're going to have as many people saying, "Oh, you guys are great," but you're going to be walking through a place and be like, "You suck." You know, and, and there's going to be things like, you know, you'll have friends come up, "Hey, look what this guy wrote about you." You know, yeah. the, you know, Soulbro's a you know Soulbro's a big fanboy. You know Chris is you know he's an arrogant asshole. And Neo's a dumbass. You know it's <laughs> stuff like that. And you know you block it out. But when you just start hearing it and hearing it, and hearing it, like I said, even if you block out negativity, if it's if it starts to get around and it's you have access to it, yeah. it's going to um, seep in. It, it's going to beat you down a little bit. I mean, we've all had situations where we've had friends that were just negative beyond belief and. Even if you're positive, after you got away from those people, the negativity, you know, it was away and you felt better about yourself. And it was like, wow, you know, I feel a little bit better. Why is that? I don't have, you know, negative negative around all the time. And I mean, that's kind of the way I would equate it to this. Here's another thing that, that, that is sort of at the central heart of, you know, this interview of Mizushima and this problem. And that's sort of, um, well, I see it that fans have an intractableness to the flow of time. Yeah. I mean, they don't understand that, that things change. One common thing I see a lot of complaints about is that, uh, you know, oh, how come the mecha shows these days suck and they aren't as good as like Votomes or the original Macross or Pat Labor or blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And the thing is, these people don't realize the, the 80s are over. Mm -hmm. The conditions that existed that led to the creation of all of these shows like Dugrum and Votomes and Macross and all of these things no longer exist. Yeah. You know, the aesthetic that was used there of, you know, more gritty stories, more realistic robots, more politics, uh, non bishonen character designs, uh, orchestrated soundtracks versus poppy things. You know, those were all the things that were present in that time, and the world has changed, and people have moved on, and those things are no longer the case. Yep. So nothing will ever be like it was. Yeah, the cold world's over. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, if you think of, like, you know, you use the example of the Transformers cartoon. Yeah, the It same. was kind of a Cold War cartoon on top of that, the, the same thing the cons are evil and mm -hmm. they kind of you know in in a, in a robot way they would have kind of like a they had different accents you know the autobots would they would talk like americans yeah. and but you know the um you know the decepticons they would be all distorted and you know or cobra yeah yeah, yeah well, that's Perfect. the biggest example yeah that's that's that's, that's, that's like spot but i mean the same thing just like the japanese market in the 80s was geared towards those kind of shows uh, same thing could be extended towards the American market in the 80s when we had Saturday morning cartoons. And, you know, like I said, a lot of them were toy commercials at the time. I mean, in the 90s, that all but died, you know, because, you know, the market changed. You know, they, they, it's, it's, just, it's just a sign of the times. Granted, it's a treat when you see something come back with that kind of flair and attitude, but it's a rare, it's, it's a rare, um, it's a rare occurrence. And when it happens, it's, it's mainly digging up nostalgia in the first place. So, you know, it's based upon that and it's kind of just retreading something that we've already, you know, been there, done that. Granted, I don't have, I don't have a big problem with that, but you know, I'm all about, I'm all about, you know, a, a fresh take on things and, and, and also to, you know, to experience new things. And I want to see the, the genre evolve and keep evolving. Well, I mean, there, I don't know. It's just, I don't see where 
this is such a departure either like a like a turn a or even a g gundam where there has to be that much bashing you still have you know um government union a going against government union b and yeah. you know you have mobile suits um you know there's still that political intrigue um it's the hurt, you know pilots with dark histories and you know and and interesting characters so I, I think a lot of ways it's just um it's like he says in the interview i think it is just because um you know double o was a year ago kind of niche and you know people you know the true the, tr the true gundam people loved it and then now all of a sudden it's it's not only getting uh, accolades from the gundam fans but it's also getting accolades from other fans that would you know probably would have never seen it that they are getting this kind of defense mechanism of you know what the heck is this you know <laughs> what, what happened this was for us and not for everybody else and you know it's whose fault is it oh it's the director's fault because you know he does it, he directs the whole show so let's just hate on him what are you doing you know so for me it comes down to another sort of major point which is when it comes to any long-running franchise regardless of what you're trying to do you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't oh, very yeah. true you do something that's very different from what's been done before you get slammed to hell for doing something that's weird like in the case of turn a gundam and then if you try to do something that's exactly like the formula you get slammed for you know just pouring out the same crap over and over and over again like for example um, the Mega Man games <laughs> <laughs> which you know there's there's a lot of truth to that complaining but you know regardless in any long running franchise you're you're doomed to this yeah. and you know sometimes those complaints are valid for me you know the the idea of you know oh this should be like this way this franchise is supposed to be like this you know something that even I fell victim to long ago I mean I've confessed before that uh I didn't care much for G Gundam or Turn A when I first watched them because that was early on in my time as a Gundam fan and Ooh. I thought everything should be a certain way, but then I gave those shows a second shot and I enjoyed them. You know, when I come, the way I've changed my viewpoint over the years is when it comes to a franchise and there's a new entry, regardless of what it's doing, do I like it or not? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Not you know, this this checklist of, oh, well, you know, the Gundam needs to be red, white, and blue and it needs to have. <laughs> beef in and it needs to have the red chin and it needs to you know be replaced in the middle of the season with the more powerful gundam and the name of the show has to be the name of the gundam and you know the pilot has to be you know a student who gets caught up and then you know the enemy pilot has to be a hot woman who he falls in love with and then oh, tragically dies. and then there has to be the space laser and the calling drop it like blah 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 yeah i mean I don't, I don't watch a show from that perspective the other problem and i've mentioned this before is that people have such demanding expectations, like, well, if this didn't happen in this episode the way I wanted, and this didn't happen the way I expected, and this didn't happen this other way, then it's a piece of crap. And they write yeah. it off. And that's another rather disturbing recent development that, you know, people go into a show with so many expectations about what they personally want to happen, which obviously is not going to happen because you're you and the creator and the writer and the director is somebody else. Yep. But because it personally doesn't match their vision 120%, then it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And we've and seen that, that is, with a lot of shows. A lot of shows with Down Below, with Macross Frontier, yeah. with Kogius. You know, things didn't happen how I wanted, therefore it sucks. Or, you know, the director is trolling us. Yeah. The the director that's, um, you know, what, uh, 16,000 miles or, you know, 15,000 miles away and, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, never he, met you. 
<laughs> he's he's got he's got worse critics on his own soil though. I mean, um looking at the Japanese otaku, I mean, they just it just they just seem to be a pretty vicious crowd, man. I just over the years of just hearing exploits from like hit um you know, Ano, the director of Evangelion and you know, other examples over time, you know, they just they seem to have this set opinion that it, that's hard to shake. And a lot of times they're wrong initially, and they go back and commend the director later when, you know, the show is already done and, you know, they've already done their damage. That's the same here. You know, going yeah. back, for example, to Star Trek, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there was so much hatred for Deep Space Nine during most of its run because it was so completely different from what was commonly accepted to be Star Trek. You know, you had to have the Enterprise and you had to, you know, be moving around and you had to have... You know this and that and that and this, mm-hmm. and that show totally threw all of that out the window and sure went a completely way, and it faced so much hatred. I knew a lot of people who couldn't stand that show and were always bashing it without ever having seen it wow. or saw episode, and then would just pick that apart. But now, all these years later, you know, it's been ten years, which is shocking to me that it's already been ten years. Since I know. The show ended. <laughs> ten years since the show ended, yeah. and now it's viewed, you know, posthumously as the underrated classic. Yeah. And people finally seeing it for what it really is. Thank you, Iris Stephen Bear. And, and and you know what? I, I, I find it funny that people that you, you bring up something like that, that people would be critical of a Gundam and stuff like that, you know, Gundam Double O because look what happened to the mobile suit Gundam, the original show. Yeah. It was critical. People were critical of it. It got canceled because it didn't do well. It mm-hmm. wasn't getting, you know, probably good reviews and stuff like that. It was canceled. And then what happens later? You know, a few Blows years up. later, it becomes a, a cult hit and then and then an overnight sensation. And, you know, look at it now. So I, I, I find it funny that people tend to forget the origins of these franchises in a lot of ways. <laughs> and they, they, you know, they, they forget that part of the reason why that, they ended up becoming what they were was because people were overcritical at the beginning. They were cut short, and then you know they found new life in, in different ways. So it's uh, kind of interesting, but um, they seem doomed to repeat the same process. But um, I'm going to give you guys some final comments so we can get out of this. But uh, Solbro, it's it's a sign it's a sign of the changing times where you know I guess critical you know criticism is reaching these guys. Is this you know, change and, we and, can believe in though? Um, but, uh, not this change, <laughs> but I mean they're just going to have to adapt. I mean you just got to blot these people out. Just stick to your vision. Um, put the show out. I know it's hard to do because you know eventually you know you, that di- that creative dynamic can be damaged by that. But you got to remember you're putting out a complete product, and you want to make sure it, it starts, transitions, and ends as well as you can. You know you can produce the show. Don't don't let these people well, get to you. I don't and, necessarily I mean, think that he it, it, he's a little hurt by the you know the tone of yeah. the interview is he's a little hurt by some of the negative criticism. Yeah. But in no way, shape, or form is it making it sound like he is bending his will to the fans pro- yeah. you know probably this guy actually seems like he's pretty strong willed that you know okay they're out there and they're, he's just saying that, you know he, i think more or less than anything what is getting out of this um this interview is that he's just finally saying everything that the three of us have been saying yeah you well, know he's no stranger to this because you know yeah. five Alchemist. years ago mm-hmm. he got tons and tons of hatred from fans of full alchemist because the tv show Diverged from the manga at the halfway point, but yep. couldn't exactly be helped because the manga was you know, the, wasn't as far along as it is. They started that show very early on, mm-hmm. which is another trend in Japanese anime. I'm not so happy about, but that's for another episode. Um, what do you expect the guy to do? Can't yeah. just stop the show twenty something episodes in and not finish it. <laughs> so they had to come up with a different story. I like that story. 
I like it too. And and and, and I've I, never I've never read the manga, so I couldn't tell you what's better or what's not. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Full Metal Alchemist. I don't think I think it in some ways it's it's you know people go a little too crazy about it, but it is it is a pretty solid show. And I mean, it wasn't a horrible ending. And like I said, I don't know what the manga ending was, but you know, it, I'm what? I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 still rocking. So, if it's still know. running, then okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I mean, even his previous show, Die Guard, was 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 a fun show to watch, and you know, I, I I've so far I've enjoyed all the works I've seen of his, and um, I think these guys really need to 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 to, to learn how to hold their tongue, but I, that's not changing anytime soon. I, I I I all I can hope is for the best for these directors and for them to put out their best material. I would just say that you know, uh, unfortunately, this this hyper criticism from a bunch of angry anonymous fanboys is only going to continue and get worse so you know the straight chalk express will be the the bulwark standing strong against you know the rage of the uh the angry fanboy and, yeah. and to those who might feel overwhelmed by seeing this everywhere they go you know no places is immune to that but um you know just ignore those people and you know when it comes to watching things just let go of all of this crap and you know watch something you know if you want it, if you enjoy it you enjoy it yeah you know if it's doing things differently that's fine if it's not fitting that exact formula that's fine as long as it's good it's good yeah don't be embarrassed that you like something just because damn well, straight i guess my final thing would be um you know uh we now have a new mission for gundam not only the promotion of uh mecha anime but also to uh you know go against the purveyors of rabbit fanboyism out on the internet and 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 all forms of media well, we're aiming high in 2009 man but uh Good mechanic for the uh, for the Straight Talk Express because it's going to be constantly shuttling around. Well, yeah, we're going to have to get a we're going to have to get a, a, an expense account at Penske Auto Centers or something because uh, and lo- lots of oil changes and tires, I'm sure. But um, I just want to thank um, uh, f- uh, he's uh, one of the Mecha Talk uh, posters, Flame X. Uh, he actually gave me this link on the Neo's uh, listeners submitted news articles, and um, yeah, I just want to give him some kudos there, and you know. Um, you know, these are some great things that, you know, once again, all you guys have been doing pretty good jobs out there. And, you know, um, you know, don't be afraid to bring things up like this, too, because just as much as we're looking for the next pundum, you know, um, you can <laughs> see that, you know, we might not only read the news during the news segment, but we might actually make a topic out of it because, you know, this was something that the three of us thought was, um, you know, I was ag- originally going to speak with it during the news segment, but I felt that this, um, you know, actually warranted more discussion than, you know, three or four minutes so but i just want to thank him and um you're listening to gundam at mahq we'll be right back end of discussion debate is over you will write a formal apology i will what a formal apology you will kowtow you will step and fetch frank if you think you can get me used to it it's the way of the world if you're so hot on discipline then gundam it Start by accepting mine, because contrary to popular opinion, I'm the head in charge. Come on, let's get something. You really think you're bad, don't you? Checking out or finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? 
Well, then Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20 less than retail daily 20% that's right Frank 20% Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time you even find them open most holidays so if you're local stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business tell them Gundam and MAHQ sent you Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. There's going to be a very hot session this afternoon. The session is about to begin. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, so concludes episode 27 of Gundam at MAHQ. Uh, in this um, episode, we discussed a... Actually, it was a link from a listener-submitted news article that was on the Neo's listener-submitted news article thread on Mecha Talk, and the poster was FlameX. And this is actually something that had shown up on the Sankaku Complex, and it was um, actually talking about an interview with Gundam 00 director... Seiji Mesashima and some of his thoughts about some fan criticism out there, especially on the internet. So you'll hear some of our thoughts about that. And um, in the tradition of kind of keeping some episodes light here, we only did two topics. Our last one, last topic was um, at, uh, the 14th installment of Gundam Roundup, which is Turn A Gundam, probably one of the more different and more controversial, I would say, in some ways uh, of the Gundam shows. But, um, Chris, any anything before we move on here for MHQ or anything like that? Nope. Okay, but uh, I just I got Solbro like jumping up and down here, flagging me down. It looks like he has something that he needs to read. I guess you have. Um, <laughs> oh, I got some of the usual. I thought um, you were going to read a. Um, I was going to a get letter. To, I was going to get to that, but okay. Well, go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, um, we want to get this done. I've got I've got some roses of Gundam to hand out today. Roses one of Gundam. them, one of them is to a uh, avid listener by the name of Kelly Hartman, and she writes, "My Wait older a second, brother, a girl, huh? Is this a girl or is yes, this like of the female variety? It's going to be creepy." <laughs> um, my <laughs> here's the letter. My older brother Jason got me into super cool mecha shows, and she, and he also showed me Gundam. And you know, I like the podcast and the website. And to note, I am a girl who loves her some giant robots, and trust me, there are. Sobro needs to apologize. Thank you for your time, Kelly Hartman. <laughs> so here you go, Kelly. 
I apologize to you. And thank you for listening. Tell your brother Jason he's cool. And you get props from me. Also, I also like to give a rose or goddamn to another listener, um, Danielle Webster, who um, um, who's off to boot camp for the army, and um, she just sent us a letter, um, just saying that, and that she'll probably she'll check us out from time to time. But I wish her the best of luck. And um, getting into the regular spiel, um, you can. You can check out these websites um, where you can find Gundam, mahq.net, which is, of course, the mother of all mecha websites, gundam.net, which is the aforementioned website where you can find our show. Um, you can also find us on MySpace and also Facebook. And you can reach us by emailing uh, gundammahq at gmail.com or on the forums at mechatalk.net. And also you can, gun- you can download Gundam on iTunes or Zune by searching for the keyword Gundam. Go to gundam.net. Well, are you able to download there. it on Zune? Didn't all the Zunes crap out? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not too long ago, but... There's some survivors. There's some survivors. Kind of, kind of funny, Chris, that now uh, Solbro uh, is having to do all these apologies. I always <laughs> thought it would be Solbro s- Ryu offending women since 2007. Oh no, longer much, than that. But um, <laughs> I mean, I'm goddamn. I'm good, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'd like to thank Kelly for her mail, and um, you know, thank you for and spread the word for Gundam, and um, you know, keep hearing. And who, the other person you said was what was her person? Oh, Danielle. Danielle, and mm-hmm. you know, thank you for serving, and uh, we wish you luck and you know, safety, and uh, you know, hopefully we can help you pass those days. Uh, you know that it gets a little boring out there. So, but um, salute to all of our other female listeners that uh, Solbro offended, like Kishiria. Oh, Kishiria, and, and Abin Sugar, of course. Yes. Oh, she and, ripped me a new one too the other day. <laughs> and uh, you know, all women offended by Solbro, you can like Solbro gave you. You can reach us by Gundam MHQ at gmail dot com. So uh, definitely. Our, our- Definitely, uh, you know, put the, you know, if you need to put Solbro in his place more, please, uh, please go and do it. Because um, just like the Straight Talk Express, this might be, uh, this might be a reoccurring segment here. Of, <laughs> I just want to explain about, you know, why uh, Solbro is such a misogynist and, and it's always my man this or my man that. And maybe, you, you know, you know, should ask for, you know, Solbro's woman's. That, yes. You know, you, could do that too. My girl and machine, man. She's the Mary Riches of McBollards. <laughs> oh, that's just your obsession. But, um, so All right. keep them coming because, uh, you know, we, we, we <laughs> it deflects everything off of me and Chris. Sweet. So, but, um, therein lies, therein lies the rub. <laughs> yeah, because, well, I've already, I've already put my place in the podcast annals as just ill informed. Sweet. And, well, Chris is, he's just Chris. So, I'm a I'm a dick and an internet hater, so a monopolizer too, right? Perhaps so. <laughs> Maybe so. If it ain't broke, <laughs> he wants the whole mecha anime empire to himself. But well, I'll shout to me. <laughs> <laughs> the blood will evens. The blood of the non-believers will flow in the streets. Yes. <laughs> But um, enough silliness on us, and uh, we thank everybody for listening and spread the word. And if there's anything you guys have, no? All right. We'll see you guys next episode. See you in a few. Bye. Peace. Hey, kid. What's your idea messing with the Titans? Camille is a perfectly good name for a guy. I'm a man, and I'll prove it. This guy's nuts. Gundam at MHQ is a Shinjuku station in MHQ production. If you ever start to feel too good about yourself, 
they have this thing called the internet. And um, you can find a lot of people there who don't like you. 